Hi Teamsters, I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and find intersectionality. Welcome to Cult Episode 2. <laughs> uh, so this is our Cult Adjacent episode. Hashtag Cult Adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to be covering a cult. An actual cult. Actual cult. And I am going to cover a cult fave. In this case, a cult movie. That's a movie with a cult following. A movie about a cult. No. Not in this case. Not. At some point. Not today. A movie that has inspired others to form a cult. Absolutely. I am, and I'm sure we will get to it, but I have my shirt on in support of your topic. I see your babe with the power shirt. Yes, ma'am. Spoiler alert. We are talking about Labyrinth. We are, but stay tuned because I go go first this time. We want to let you down easy at the end and not leave you with a hanger like an actual cult. My this week is super interesting. Last week I think I went a little well not easy, but this hold on, let me let her stop scratching. Dolly, we're recording a podcast. Get it together. I now uh, have three animals in my house, so it's extremely um, loud all <laughs> the time. I've got a dog asleep in my lap. We've got two white cats running around. It's possible you might hear. Um, we've had all sorts of animals make appearances on our podcast so far. That's We're going to have to start making merch for the animals. <laughs> Specifically. Because we also, our artistic director, mm-hmm. so what... Yeah, We're actual Angel her. Ashley. Actual Angel Ashley. And our bomb diggity editor, mm-hmm. Jacob. Jacob. Um, also have pets. And I have two. Mm-hmm. So look out for pet merch at some point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We are going to be talking about a cult. I'm not sure if you've heard of this, actually. We've never had an actual conversation. Have you ever heard of Nexium? Um, I think I've seen commercials for it. Is it like Viagra? No. <laughs> well, it is some type of <laughs> it is some type of pharmaceutical drug. However, we are going to be talking about Nexium, the multi-marketing level MLM, an MLM, uh, yeah, started by a man named Keith Rainier, Mount Rainier, Mount Rainier, <laughs> Paul Revere. Um, <laughs> So Keith Rainier kind of fit the the mold of the charismatic cult leader in a lot of ways, but he was interesting because he played on his brains. He's not the cutest guy you've ever seen. He's not the tallest guy. He's not going to overpower you. He's going to sit you down and talk at you for hours. So he did not have a choice between brains and brawn. No. He literally only got the him. brains. Okay. Genetics chose for him, for sure. But I, it's interesting because I watched a, uh, you can see a lot of his, I guess, conversations or interviews online, and he'll literally just talk at you for an hour. And he kind of talks himself in circles. Mm-hmm. I listened to probably an hour and 15 minutes of one, and I was like, he just tries to to confuse you so he definitely has you know he's definitely trying to overpower you with his brain i feel like that's really common for cult leaders like mm-hmm. well when they have an answer for everything right and it doesn't matter what the answer is no 
they're just going to talk until you've forgotten what your question was. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking specifically about, I don't know how political we want to get, but the cult of Trump, where he literally would say nothing and everything and then contradict himself Mm -hmm. 15 times within three speeches and everyone was still like, but he's talking. I'm smart. I'm smarter than anyone else. I've got ideas. Just ask anybody. The best ideas. (laughs) That's probably a direct quote. In 1990, Keith founded the MLM Consumers Byline Incorporated. It was during the creation of this company that he went, met a woman named Tony Natalie, who would later become his partner for eight years. CBI shut down in 1993 after being investigated by 20 separate states. That the, was fast. Wait, yeah. what was the time span on that? <laughs> 90 to 93. Three years in 20 states. Yeah. That's an imp- I, there's got to be a record there somewhere. Quickly. The state of New York filed a lawsuit against the company, alleging that they were a pyramid scheme, which they're not wrong. And then he was forbid for selling or marketing the company ever again. Is it illegal to be a pyramid scheme? It is illegal to not provide an actual service. Okay, but being a pyramid scheme intrinsically is not illegal. The scheme is the important part, and having an MLM is not. The idea of an MLM is like, I recruit you, you recruit three of your friends, and then we're all together, you have goals that are set from the company, and then you're reaching to meet those. Right. Now, if I'm having you invest in a company that doesn't really provide a service or, or... is intentionally taking your money for no particular reason that is illegal sounds a little problematic yes it is (laughs) um that next year keith created a new company called national health network which was again an mlm and this time they sold vitamins and minerals and supplements (laughs) (laughs) and that business failed five years later Okay. So at that time, Keith was dating Tony, and he introduced her to a woman named Nancy Salzman. She was a nurse, a hypnotist, a very smart, intellectual woman. I would say badass, but then she kind of (laughs) becomes a part of our story. But they kind of get together and come up with this really great idea, head up to Albany, New York, and that's where this story takes place. Keith kind of became infatuated with Nancy, and together they founded the Executive Success Program, a personal development company. This company was later rebranded under the name Nexium, and the goal was to continue to assist people in like the self-help and self-improvement category. I think like what we know about people who are looking for answers is, is that they're very malleable and can right really, easily influence. Yeah, definitely easily influence. Like to buy into all the self-help books which Mm -hmm. there are some great self-help books Mm -hmm. out there but yeah i could see how this could be you could easily get sucked into Mm -hmm. it yeah so i think what's interesting about this so far and i'm sure you're going to talk about it more is just like being a pyramid scheme is not intrinsically illegal i also don't think of it as always being a cult no but it sounds like you've really found the trifecta like the illegal cult multi-level marketing if you're unfamiliar with this cult what's about to happen you're going to be completely unprepared for <laughs> i am in fact prepare your body unprepared. okay my we'll body be doing is prepared some, yeah we'll be doing some listener discretion oh. uh, comments here shortly that is unexpected <laughs> So when they got together to think about where they wanted to go with this organization, they then decided that Keith was going to be referred to from the group as Vanguard and that she was going to be referred to as Prefect. Hashtag HP. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't Vanguard also a medication? Um, I know it's a character from a video game. (laughs) Oh, perfect. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. It also sounds like On Guard. Ah! And fence. Yes. On Belay Belay's on. (laughs) 
Rainier was going to, the idea was that Rainier was going to be kind of the guru, the front of the house, and that Nancy was going to be doing a lot of the teaching and a lot of like the uh, training videos kind mm-hmm. of being seen from that, that point. They sold seminars and classes. The initial course, which was a five-day intensive course, cost $2,700. That's quite a deal. You think so? I think so. Compared to today's prices, I don't know if you've checked the market lately. <laughs> For the five-day <laughs> cult seminars? Yeah. I haven't, but I'm sure they're on Groupon somewhere. <laughs> um, we will be checking after this. Sponsored by Groupon. Um, these programs were called Executive Success Programs, or ESPs. So from 1998 to 2018, 16,000 people took that course alone. And so I know that you're not a math genius. I just... I'm in fact not. <laughs> Thank you for for already doing the homework for me. You're welcome. It, that's over $43 million. My God. Mm-hmm. Uh, excuse me? <laughs> no wonder they didn't have to raise their prices any more than that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was just for one. We'll go into this a little bit uh, here in a second, but this was kind of the get, getting your foot in the door. So you'd mm-hmm. go and take this class. You'd feel really, really enlightened. They said that day three was kind of like, like your skeptical day one and two, day three, you're committed. And then eventually the company comes up with all these like other courses and all these other companies under Nexium that are going to be for different topics, like just for women, just for men, even uh, courses for children, athletics, uh, just anything you can think of. They've got like a, a, a sub company. Yeah. It's interesting. I was recently reading about a woman who got wrapped up in like a yoga cult and I don't Mm -hmm. remember much more beyond that. So you'll have to do the research Mm -hmm. on that. Um, In the U.S.? Yes. So, um, Mm -hmm. but basically she's kind of said the same thing. Like she was interested in doing yoga and then she went on this like five day retreat or 10 day retreat or whatever it was. And by like day three, you're surrounded by all these people who like hype you up and suddenly your brain just kind of switches and you're like oh okay of course we should be doing all these things how many cults are developing during and right after covid i'm so curious the limit does not exist hungry for that interpersonal and human connection yeah you're absolutely right i mean i think that like even you and i off record have talked about like how do we make friends as an adult and something oh like God. this would be a great opportunity to meet other people mm-hmm. who had similar goals mm-hmm. like i can see the appeal yeah. yeah and if you see any of the of the footage of these seminars i mean really it's intentionally what they're trying to do is make people feel better feel included part of what it is is to strip yourself of all of your preconceived ideas right and we're starting from scratch so anything that seems like intuition we're going to go ahead and ignore that because we're reprogramming you to think and act differently thus yeah so i bet day one is a lot of you might feel uncomfortable like validating yeah they you're gonna off- feel uncomfortable this is not going to be an easy thing mm-hmm. and so your brain is like oh i am feeling uncomfortable mm-hmm. they're right let me keep listening and then mm-hmm. by day three they're like here's what we actually want you to know. This isn't one of those things where they say, like, get rid of all your friends and family. Oh, that's good. Yeah, but they really do kind of isolate themselves. Yeah. The classes, the ESPs were very kind of ritualistic, Mm -hmm. just like a lot of religion is. Um, However, they weren't really considering themselves a church. This is kind of like a meditation, a lifestyle, uh, like it's just the way that you live your life. Um, It's a lifestyle cult. Exactly. Think I'm Jesus cult. Correct. 
So they had a lot of ritualistic practices like, quote, removing your shoes, wearing different colored sashes to denote their ranks in the ESP multi-level universe, and standing... That sounds very Handmaid's Tale, like all the yeah. different colors for the different ranks. Yeah. Well, and part of it is is you know you're you're required to do X, Y, and Z in order to move up, but it's essentially so you can look into the room, see who is fully devoted, who's making their numbers, and it becomes. I mean, it's literally a ranking system. Wow. And standing when higher ranking members enter the room, all greetings from quote Vanguard Keith Rainier includes kissing on the mouth. So you see all these videos of people, they do, they shake their hands very uh, uniquely. They like kind of cup both, like if you were to shake mm-hmm. my hand, I would cup both my hands around yours. Right. And then they have the kissing on the mouth thing, which is what you would do with Keith, but also like what you would do to greet other people in the organization. I mean, I am all for free love. Mm-hmm. Uh, You're all for kissing strangers. Uh- Really, well, I cannot wait to hug a stranger. Mm-hmm. At this point, they're not strangers, though. That's true. Just, they're like a family. But anyway, you just... You just I also just remembered everybody. what Vanguard is. Oh, tell me. It's like a uh, insurance mutual investment retirement thing. Oh, save for your retirement. With Vanguard. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I did not come Sorry, I that. have some money in Vanguard, I think, it's somewhere. Oh, really? So, I was like, I have heard this before, <laughs> and it's not from a video game. <laughs> They had 17-hour, very alienated days. So they were kind of isolated, depending on what you were doing. They kept you pretty busy. And it's important to note that ESP, these classes, were just like the entry point into the world of of Nexium. Like mm-hmm. I said, the next step is to get involved with all of the other classes and other things that you're required to spend thousands and thousands of dollars on. Wow. In search for enlightenment, the idea of the initial seminar was to start to get people uh, to rethink, go against their initial instincts and teaching and rewire their brains in the hopes of enlightenment and understanding. This program had a 12-point mission statement, which was read out loud each session, one of which was, quote, there are no ultimate victims, therefore I will not choose to be a victim. That sounds a little gaslighty to me. It's it's interesting. I've heard people be like, you know, I choose not to let so-and-so happen so that I become X, Y, and Z. So you might say a family member has a certain behavior that you ultimately want to choose not to replicate in your own life. So maybe you have an issue with your parents. They treated you a certain way. You vow to raise your children differently, for example. Well, that's I, fine. But being a victim ultimately at the end of the day is not their fault. Right. Right. So I think that what's interesting about this is the language. Like we talk about this in social work is you're not, I mean, you are a victim of sexual assault, but you're also a survivor of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot about mindset. And we really try to encourage people to see themselves as survivors. Mm. But ultimately, survivors are born from victims. So I think to. Mm say that you're never a victim can be really problematic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I understand what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. It's impossible for the people who end up being the, the main characters in our stories not to be considered victims. However, important to note. High-ranking members, um, executives, board members, were living together in a house. Some would consider it a commune, but also at the end of the day, you can't really trust like a, a lot of this is going to be kind of blown up as far as dissecting what part of this is a cult and what's not. Okay. They live together. They right. live together in a condo. So how many of them? I think like six. Okay. 
So it's a little bit, it's like two thruples living together. <laughs> right. <laughs> the people living in the house, as well as other high-ranking members, were often working all day and all night and often performing these services for free. So a lot of people are teaching these classes in multi- in multiple different companies under Nexium. So they're waking up early, they're, you know, training from 8 a.m. to noon, and then they got to run and do something with Keith. And so they're kind of drained. Right. But he's teaching them, you know, you don't really need as much sleep as your body thinks exactly ignore all those feelings yeah this is like the perfect marriage of let's give you some serotonin endorphins and hype you up Mm -hmm. let's reduce your sleep let's make you as vulnerable as possible Mm -hmm. to whatever it is we want to stick in your brain that's right endorphins make you happy happy people just don't Don't shoot their husbands husbands. (laughs) They just don't. They just don't. The organization at this time was really growing traction. Did you ever watch Smallville? Yeah. So I think I've seen like a few episodes. I remember he didn't have a belly button. That might <laughs> no, that was Kyle XY or something like that. <laughs> yeah. They came on back to back. I remember after seeing <laughs> um, a a billboard of the Kyle XY in Times Square, and it was just this giant him just like lifting his shirt, and it's just abs and no belly button. It's very it's concerning, startling. For, <laughs> A 13-year-old. Yeah, so um, I may have also seen an episode or two of Smallville. It obviously did not stick. It was, I mean, it was a really big show um, in the early 2000s. Um, One of the main characters, the actress's name is Allison Mack, uh, not to be confused with Alex Mack from Nickelodeon. She joined Mm -hmm. Nexium, as well as the Seagram heiresses, Sarah and Claire Bronfman. Bronfman! The Bromfamans. Mm, the Bromfamans. The Bromfamans family, they're, they're, they're the alcohol company. They started during Prohibition. They're really super rich. So oh. they're really good people to have. Yeah. As Definitely keep them in your back pocket. For sure. And then lastly, a woman named Sarah Edmondson, who was also an actress. She was in Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, oh, I loved that show. She was also a voice actor. She was in one of the My Little Ponies, the, the newer ones. Um, There's an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah. I mean, when you're an actor, you just do what you can. Yeah. We're all making ends meet. We're Mm -hmm. all human. I mean, this organization was really, really growing. They actually were able to get the Dalai Lama to come. The Dalai Lama? The Dalai Lama. Yeah. I know Um, someone who's met him. Fun fact. Was it Keith, this motherfucker? Nope. I mean, him too. Mm Mm-hmm. But he was basically endorsing the company. This is a this is paraphrasing, but basically he was saying, um, anyone who supports ethics, I support. Oh. So one of their big points was like, we need to do what's ethically right. So I'm sure that was framed in its own way with verbiage and, and language from this organization. But that was one of their big things. I mean, sure. But who who's going to say, oh... No one needs ethics. Let's throw those out the window. Who needs ethics? Let's throw them out the window. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just feel like it's the most basic thing that you can build a statement on. Yeah. Well, we have it, ethics. We have period ethics. We aren't going to tell you what they are. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't ask questions. And it was Sarah Edmondson who is the hero of our story because if it weren't for her, we would not know the truth about Nexium, which turns out to be a sex cult. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was one of the bigger twists. Yeah. I did not see that coming. I was all prepared for a comment about her having ethics. And then you throw sex cults She's in got there. ethics. She knows what they are. 
Yeah. In the broader organization of Nexium, there was one of the smaller companies or organizations called DOS. And this stands for Dominus Obsequious Sororium. You nailed it. <laughs> Got it. Good job. Thanks. Um, so this is Latin. So what does this mean? Uh, I have no idea. So it loosely translates to Lord over obedient female companions or Lord over female slaves. That was going to be my first guess, probably. You just felt just didn't um, want from it. all of my mm-hmm. years of Latin. So they weren't particularly subtle, were they? They were not. You know, I mean, I mean, if you knew, it's Latin. one Google away. <laughs> <laughs> but later in court, Keith would claim that the organization was completely run by the female organization members, and they were all consenting adults. So Keith has had polyamorous relationships his entire life. Good for him. Yeah. So up until now, they were pretty open. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people came back and said that some people didn't quite understand that he was seeing other people. But at this point, women were starting to make like devotional lifetime commitments to him. So they were saying, Keith, I'm only going to be with you. I'm only going to have you as a sexual partner while he was maintaining relationships with, with other women. And were they all aware? Not all of them were aware. Okay, so that's the problem with their ethics statement. Correct. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Is ethical non-monogamy is great, you know, super supportive, but you've got to... Gotta yeah, have the gotta, everybody needs to be in the know. Yeah. The idea for the DOS organization is a familiar one because six women were chosen, basically handpicked by Keith, and they were to go out and get six more women each to bring to the DOS This is a program. true pyramid scheme. Yes. So it said that 15 to 20 women were a part of DOS, and these women had made a vow of loyalty to Keith and consenting, essentially, to be in this organization, having sex with him, some considering that them to be sex slaves. I'm uncomfortable with all of this. Yes, girl. Uh, it's a damn mess. <laughs> what? I don't know what Keith is doing. You know, I was trying to be supportive of Keith. No, we've abandoned all hope for Keith. Yeah, I think for, for how far are we into this? Like 25 minutes? <laughs> There's no hope for Keith. There's no team Keith. No, no. No. Team Jacob, um, Team Edward. Actually, not we're going to get Keith. into some serious stuff. <laughs> oh, okay. So this is where the just, you know, we're we're going to be talking about some graphic sexual content. So just just up. content warning, content warning. Okay. So these women were required to provide some type of blackmail to Keith before joining the DOS. So this could be a nude photo or a family secret. Um, The idea was to present this to him to prevent you from leaving the organization for fear that Keith would make that information public, essentially to hold you accountable. Yikes. Or to blackmail. I mean, he literally called it, wait, what did he call it? You had to give him a piece of blackmail for you. Essentially, yeah. You provided your own blackmail. (laughs) Okay, Continue. but it's 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 used as an accountability tool. So you know, yeah. I also don't want to judge these women, mm-hmm. um, which I think in the way that it's easy people are telling the story—not you specifically, but wherever you found your sources for this. Mm-hmm. Like obviously, there's some victim blaming here. With women provided their own blackmail, they were already indoctrinated into a cult at this point oh yeah i mean the cult leader is saying hey give me something that's of value to you for me to potentially use against to you to show later. me that i can trust you or whatever else and, it, and literally he's like 
this will be used against you if you make me like don't push me to that you know place the beginning of every meeting the women were required to provide a group nude photo to keith fully naked fully frontal these ladies were also required to be on call 24 7 and they couldn't they needed to respond to his text messages within 60 seconds i mean what if you leave your phone in the other room Mm -hmm. and you're taking a shit there was (laughs) there was none of that i mean this is like classic controlling yeah yeah it's it's terrible i mean it's mind games yeah the initiation into the organization is by far like the hardest part for me Mm -hmm. um and the allegations of this were brought forward by sarah edmondson to the new york state department of health after her initiation to the dos so we are definitely team sarah we are for sure team sarah um the initiation required the women to be blindfolded to be held down naked so they would lay on a massage table and then three other women in the organization would hold them down okay they would then have to say quote master please brand me it would be an honor and then they would then be branded on their hip or pelvis (gasps) i know the women were told that the symbol was a latin symbol however when you turn the image to the side it's clearly the initial of keith reiner's initials yeah i'm just processing all of this like the mental the mental games that this man is playing Mm -hmm. on these women yeah super problematic good thing we paired this with um the funnest (laughs) puppet i film cannot wait to get into the movie (laughs) but this is exactly why i mean normally i go first with my psychology thing Mm -hmm. but i'm so glad that we decided that when we're talking about cults, you mm-hmm. have to go first so yeah. that we can end on a light note and have fun with it because this is dark and this is heavy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so many women have experienced trauma, people in general. Yeah. So it's hard to hear about it. But I think that there's also a curiosity about the mindset that goes into people who join cults, mm-hmm. cult leaders. Um, and how things like this really happened. It's interesting because Keith considers himself to be one of the smartest people on earth. Um, he's said to have like a super high IQ. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he really really values his own opinions and beliefs. And he, he really does believe what he's saying. Yeah. So all of this is being explained away from his internal mind about how they owe him something because of because it makes sense believes he is yeah Yeah. he's the smartest just ask anybody (laughs) right um so after sarah was so brave to come forward and it was a huge media sensation about the cult keith fled to mexico and he was arrested in mexico and was charged with sex trafficking and forced labor he pled not guilty allison mack and a woman named claire braffman were indicted also for sex trafficking charges as being leaders of the organization. Allison Mack pled guilty to racketeering and Claire Broffman to visa fraud, basically settling for lesser charges. Right. And in June of 2019, quote, Rainier was convicted by a Brooklyn jury of racketeering, sex trafficking, forced labor conspiracy, and wire fraud conspiracy. And that was in less than five hours. The minimum charge for these crimes is 15 years. Okay. okay, so he was charged in what year? Did you say? 2019. Okay. Well, in in 2019, he was convicted. He was charged in October 2020. Okay. To 120 years. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we don't have to worry about him. Right. He's he, going away. He's going away. He also received a fine of $1.75 million, which was to me was That's weird. Like a like, drop in the bucket. For... Well, also, like, fining you for having a sex cult or a cult in general where you've caused so well, much harm. Like, a fine? 
I mean, he ripped off how many thousands of people? Like you, you gave out the figure earlier of what six million, sixteen million, forty-three million, forty-three million. Here's the thing: like, take the sex part out of it. Like, you be enlightened all you want. Just you know, you can. You're welcome to charge people to come up with some crazy cool ideologies. Like, that's fine. Like, everybody's looking for their purpose, sure, right? Yeah, go for it. But you know, so I don't. I don't fault an organization for like. I don't know, having ideas. It's obviously just the... Well, um, it sounds like he got people to pay him, brainwashed them to whatever extent, and then convinced them to join his sex cult. Like, I absolutely think he owes reparations in some way. 1.75 million. The word fine is so weird. I think reparations would be better, but it's not going to the families or to them. Well, who's it going to? I would think the government. Oh, well, that's not great. I think it should go back to the families or the people who really experienced harm. Yeah. He began serving his sentence in January of this year. Praise be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that is Nexium, my friends. What is so weird to me is that, um, you know, Alex, uh, Alex Mack, Allison <laughs> Mack was one of the head people who was, I mean, she actively participated in all these things and she was part of the organization she was organizing this they they referred to it as a sorority right however mm-hmm. she's being controlled by this other person so yeah well what i think is interesting about this there's a great movie called the rabbit proof fence mm-hmm. which is actually about uh, aboriginal people in australia mm-hmm. and we watched it in one of my classes in grad school and talked about how Oftentimes, whoever is really in control will find people who are willing to police other people mm-hmm. who are being oppressed. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's something about a woman controlling and manipulating other women that at first women are very trusting of that person, mm-hmm. but then the betrayal is so much more painful. Yeah. Um, there are women involved in human trafficking. I mean... Oh, absolutely. You know, which is... Also awful. Yeah. And, I mean, that that's what this was to some extent as well. Mm-hmm. But just the fact that anyone can be involved in this, and especially the people who are often oppressed or who are mm-hmm. oppressing people who, are, who share so much in common with mm-hmm. them. And a lot of these people have come forward since then to tell their stories, and uh, we've seen a lot more light into what the organization was actually about. And there's yeah. obviously this veil over the true intentions behind this this guy who's clearly trying to harm yeah instead of what he had originally been yeah preaching so i do want to add just one more thing before we wrap up and that is that even the women who were part of this and had any role in it were also victims like everyone other than this guy was a victim Mm -hmm. so i just want to make sure that that came across clearly and not that I'm blaming a woman for doing this to another woman without seeing her, you know, as a victim as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, she, yeah, it sucks. I mean, when you're part of an organization where you're picked to be one of the six people to do a, you know, lead off of this large multi-million dollar organization, it's flattering. Mm -hmm. Also, you're spending time with this guy who you believe has all the answers. Right. It's, and then he's putting faith in you to help control the organization Mm -hmm. it's such a mental game yeah it's fucked up all right you ready to talk about puppets that was nexium thank you so much (laughs) 
will be here all weekend or for at least another 30 minutes. <laughs> I am so ready to talk to you about Labyrinth. Let's do it. Okay. A little background on Labyrinth before we really get into it. Okay. Labyrinth was made um, and released in the summer of 1968. Oh, good times. Way back, long, long time ago's days. Mm-hmm. Uh, the director was Jim Henson, mm-hmm. who you may know. I may. From the Muppets the and mo- a few other things. I don't remember what. Right this second. But mostly <laughs> the Muppets. There were three producers, Eric Raderay, David Lazier, and George Lucas. Yes. You can tell from the scene in the end where the guns make pew, 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 pew. Sounds. Pew, pew. Yep. That was a copy and paste <laughs> for future projects. Um, and the writer was Terry Jones, which I had to look him up because he was the one person I would, didn't know. But he also wrote Monty Python. Oh, shit. So we will be coming back to you, okay, Terry, Terry Jones. We'll see you in about six months or so. <laughs> we also have or the movie starred Jennifer Conley as Sarah and David Bowie as the Goblin King mm-hmm. or Jareth. Mm-hmm. King Jareth. Here are just some opening thoughts, and we can dive in. This is a direct quote from me as I was watching the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Labyrinth is like Alice in Wonderland meets Wizard of Oz if the Wizard of Oz had Muppets, or if you look at it from the perspective of Jareth, it is Peter Pan or Puck from A Midsummer Night's Dream if both were written as fever dreams with the Muppets. You're not wrong. I felt like that was the most accurate description of Labyrinth. It's um, one of those movies that feels like it's never going to end. It's like... Well, and it's because the plot meanders mm -hmm. in a really interesting way. Well, you go back to... It's like... I mean, you're stuck in a labyrinth. It's kind of that time warp experience. It's just a jump to the Mm -hmm. left. But this movie for me gets a 10 out of 10. Oh, it has aged. Ooh, are you gonna? Oh, I'm gonna start <gasps> rating yes. our cult films. You, um, you gave it a ten out of ten. I gave it a ten out of ten. Like wow. this movie has aged well. The story is interesting. It has something for everybody. The music is great, and David Bowie's costumes. David's Bowie. David's Bowie. <laughs> Let's talk about David's Bowie. David's Bowie. That's what we see. I mean, which is interesting because as a kid, I don't remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you throw a leotard on anybody, you're going to see all um, kinds of stuff. Also, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Mm. It was definitely stuffed. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's very round. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are they not? There were, <laughs> there were some type of cup action <laughs> happening. Okay. Five, sure. I'm glad you would have known this. Yeah. I We'll talk did not. after. I'll, we'll get out a pencil and a paper, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, so a lot of... After I watched this movie, I was really curious what other people had said about it because it's such a strange movie to wrap your mind around that I went to the experts. Okay. Um, Wikipedia has a fandom page for Labyrinth, Ooh, which I is great. It. There was also an article by The Atlantic and one more. We'll link it. Anyways, so the basic story is kind of a hero's journey. Like mm-hmm. the hero's faced with a problem and they have to go and, you know, fight bad guys and then ultimately um, return home. Learn a which lesson. Is like a typical hero's trajectory. This one's in the form of a fairy tale. There's some thought that Mr. Henson was inspired by the Brothers Grimm and Hans Christian Andersen. Mm. And like there was, so I'm sure that we're all familiar with the Brothers Grimm and mm-hmm. Hans Christian Andersen, but they are the much darker, mm-hmm. more troublesome versions of, or fairy the tales. original, the OG fairy tales. Mm-hmm. 
that Disney made pretty and palatable. Yep. Like at the end of The Little Mermaid, I believe she commits suicide and turns into sea foam. Um, and Cinderella, in Cinderella is, she cuts off her foot. The, the, the sisters, sisters cut their feet off to fin to the shoe. Yeah. Yikes. Um, <laughs> So I feel like this was kind of similar, except that like it was a cautionary tale. Let's go back to the telling of dark stories. But to what end Mm -hmm. is really my question to you. So at the very beginning, Sarah is a normal kid, if not a bit of a dreamer. I think she resonates for me because even before she's taken into the goblin world, she's already preoccupied with daydreaming. Like I think she's a brat. Really? Mm -hmm. I could see that. It's not fair. She says that a hundred times. That's so true. We actually have a direct quote from the movie about it not being fair and what the Goblin King says to her. Mm -hmm. This movie is so quotable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm wearing a shirt with a quote. Of the labyrinth. Uh, Let me see your babe with the power shirt. Yeah. Yep. You're rocking it. It's a good song. It's a great song. I listened to it on the way over. She doesn't want to babysit her little half-brother. She's annoyed with her um, dad and stepmom going out and leaving her to be a responsible adult. This fairy tale is a coming-of-age story. Sarah Mm -hmm. has to grow up and accept some responsibility. Yeah, Is what it boils down to. So, let me tell you about the babe. Okay. What babe? The babe with the power. What power? power of voodoo who do you do do what remind me of the babe i saw my baby <laughs> i'm not gonna do that <laughs> i almost joined you but you don't want to hear my singing voice i want to hear yours no nobody wants to hear me sarah is on a quest to find her brother so that he doesn't turn into a goblin yeah. which is like the threat mm-hmm and only one of the storylines. Like, there's so much happening. There, Yeah, it's an onion situation. Yeah. Like, we have the Goblin King, who is very sexualized, mm-hmm. has the thing in his pants mm-hmm. that you can't help but ignore. <laughs> there are, like, all these valuable life lessons. And yeah. then there's the risk of your brother becoming a goblin. Yeah. I'm curious, like, are all the goblins sibling like little siblings that older siblings couldn't get back like is that where goblins come from so i don't want to be insensitive but one of the goblins legit to me looks like stephen avery's mom whose mom stephen avery for making a murderer if you have oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah i'll make a thing but <laughs> she looks <laughs> just like one of the goblins anyway continue but yeah so i'm really curious about the origin of the goblins and i'd love to get a backstory I know that Jim Henson is no longer with us, um, but if anyone would like to write the backstory for the goblins, I'd appreciate it. Okay, so like I said earlier, when I was a kid, I don't actually remember noticing David David's Bowie mm-hmm. being on display as much. So, like I said, they stuffed his pants, and I was sorry to have to break that to you. <laughs> one, devastated. One article says um, they did it because it's David friggin' Bowie. Mm -hmm. They had to turn him up to an 11. Oh. Like, he's already so great. How can they make him even greater? Mm. Let's give him a huge penis. (laughs) He was supposed to be a symbol of fertility. Oh. Um, Wow. Which makes a lot of sense if you think about his magic balls that he's always playing with. Oh, yeah. Um, to be <laughs> a kid's movie, ball. they were not being very subtle. Yeah, they um, they remind me of those those two that you, like, move. I mean, it's exactly what he does. He moves them around in your hands, but it's yep. supposed to be, I think it's from, like, Eastern medicine. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I just kind of missed all the sexual overtones when yeah. I was watching this as a kid. Well, also, he's in love with Sarah, who's... 
Right. Underage. Is he in love with her? Is she an object to him? Like, it's so unclear. I think she's kind of drawn to the danger of him. Like, he's a villain, but he's also a suitor and a king. So he has power. And he's also kind of like a father figure and taking care of Toby, the little brother. It's just very confusing. It's a mess. Yeah. Sarah... Of course, sees herself as the victim, going back to our victim, mm-hmm. you know, complex that we were talking about with the cults. Jareth also, interestingly, seems to see himself as a victim. Sarah says, or Jareth says, Sarah, beware. I've been super generous up till now. I can be cruel. Lies can be so cruel. If you could just reenact the entire soundtrack <laughs> I can't help but sing. I can't No, I know. I love it. it. I love a good musical. Me too. The heart wants what the heart wants. <laughs> And the heart wants musicals, damn it. Mm. Sarah says, uh, generous, what have you done that's generous? And Jareth says, everything. Everything that you have wanted, I have done. You asked that the child be taken, and I took him. You cowered before me. I was frightening. Or I have reordered time. I have turned the world upside down, and I have done it all for you. I'm exhausted from living up to your expectations. Isn't that generous? Mm-hmm. If this man isn't a cult leader... <laughs> He's in love with her. I that's it's, my personal opinion. I so he I, he's all alone with his goblins and uh, the occasional baby. Uh-huh. And he's totally obsessed with her. She's gorgeous. Also she's underage, so be careful. But yeah, no that's my opinion. I I see where you're coming with this. I think that for him it's a power trip. I don't think it's love. Mm-hmm. I think it is it's lust. It's lust and um a t- a super sick need to feel like he can control her, mm-hmm. which he can. I mean, I don't think that you poison the person you love with a peach. I just mm-hmm. don't think that you do. That's a good point. Are we going to talk about Hoggle? We are going to talk about Hoggle. So at the end, Sarah ultimately reclaims her autonomy by stating you have no power over me, which is hella relatable. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to eventually recognize that you're the the person is abusive and horrible mm-hmm. and that they don't have the power over you we're going to come to hoggle in just a second okay hogwarts mm-hmm. i forget what else he is called all the h names mm-hmm. i wonder if jk rowling got the inspiration for hogwarts from labyrinth because mm. the moving staircase yeah the casual mention of hogwarts jk rowling would have been about the right age to have watched labyrinth mm-hmm. oh shit you just cracked the code we also don't like J.K. Rowling. She's a turf. <sighs> yeah. Okay. But we're going to talk about how this is a coming-of-age story because that's the plot line that I was most interested in. Because we got our nice love story that's actually super creepy and not nice at all. <laughs> we've got a kidnapping situation going on, and then we've got a coming-of-age story. Sarah is facing losing her innocence in several ways, and some people have even like theorized that Toby is the sim- like her little brother's her symbol of innocence, and the hmm. Goblin King is taking it away from her. Huh. Which I thought was really cool, and I had not considered it in that way. Me neither. Um, But she's transitioning from childhood to adulthood, which is terrifying and kind of feels like a maze. You don't know which way to go. Like, I'm 30 years old, and I still feel like I hit dead ends and have to turn around and start over Mm -hmm. frequently. You have to fall into traps and learn how to trust people. So Jareth brings her to the Goblin Kingdom and literally sets a timer, which is soups on the nose for coming of age oh yeah like you've got don't be late 13 hours and then you are no longer right you know a baby uh another aspect of growing up is learning who or what to trust and learning about forgiveness and betrayal and here comes hoggle oh she learns 
that the world doesn't revolve around her and that she has to prioritize getting her brother back and caring for him, which is also a lesson on learning to focus on what's important. At one point, Sarah says, something is not fair, and Jareth responds with, you say that so often, I wonder what your basis for comparison is. Mm. Which I just love. Yeah. I'm going to get Snap that cross-stitch yeah, right? <laughs> on a pillow. Fairness can be a whole topic, too. Anyways, so Sarah meets up with a scarecrow, tin man, and cowardly lion. Wrong movie. Sarah meets up <laughs> with Hoggle, Sir Didymus, and Ludo, which is basically the same thing. Yeah. Like, Oh, I hadn't equated that, but yeah. I mean, the, really, the parallels to Wizard of Oz and mm-hmm. Alice in Wonderland, like, she literally falls down the hole. Yeah, she does. She, yeah, she has the Cheshire cat who's pointing her in two different directions. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. So one of my favorite quotes from Hoggle is, you've got to understand my position. I'm a coward and Jareth scares me. <laughs> or Hoggle is two-faced and advisor and friend to Sarah. Then he betrays her. Then she forgives him. They have a whole journey. Whirlwind romance. You know, it reminds me of like being in elementary school and like you have friends, but you secretly hate them. Right. Or maybe even high school. Or maybe even in real life. (laughs) As an adult, sometimes you have to be nice to people. Yeah. Even when you don't like them. Oh, I know. No, but I love all my friends though. Yeah, me too. All seven of them. I mean, at this point, we're not going to call someone a friend that we don't we don't like. That's true. We have grown. But yeah, just the two-facedness of like being like, okay, are, are we friends today or are we not friends today? It's hard. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Another thing I didn't know about Hoggle when or didn't remember about Hoggle from when I was a kid was the first time we meet him, he's literally like holding his peeing and peeing. Yeah, he's totally peeing into the. Yeah. Is it the is it the bog of? Stench? No. It's like a fountain or something. Okay. I can't remember. He gets to be Prince of the Bog of Stench later. later. Also, on his jacket, he literally has two faces. Oh. Like on the back of his jacket. Go look for that little Easter egg. Mm -hmm. Again, they're telling you right off the bat, like, this is not somebody you can trust. Right. So, is he the Scarecrow? Is he the Cheshire Cat? I don't really know. He's all of the above. Then we have Sir Didymus, who is a fox knight. I thought he was a dog. He rides a dog. I thought he was a dog riding a dog. Is that a silly thought? <laughs> I think he's a fox. Because he barks. TBD. Okay. We don't really... He's a he's a goblin. He's a fox dog goblin mm-hmm. that rides a dog. <laughs> that just happens to look like her dog Merlin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot it is Merlin, huh? Yeah. Except in the goblin kingdom, it's Ambrosius. Yeah. Ambrosius? <laughs> So I think he's, like, supposed to represent bravery. Yeah, it, but it's the coward bravery, too. Yeah. He's the cowardly lion, mm-hmm. maybe, mm, maybe, in this story. Let me tell you, watching this with a 10-year-old, when he walks across the stones in the bog of stench and it's fart noises, <laughs> that went over really well. <laughs> it was pretty funny. I mean, they've got pee jokes and fart jokes. Mm-hmm. It's great. What more could you want? I think that's what I love so much about this movie is there's something for every age. Mm-hmm. Like if you're watching it as a kid, you may not know, notice David's Bowie, but you're mm-hmm. going to notice the <laughs> fart jokes. Mm-hmm. As an adult, you notice the sexual overtones and the weird things that are happening and how it's multi-layered and, mm-hmm. and David's Bowie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we need to make David's Bowie merch. <laughs> I'm sure it's taken. Ludo is my favorite. Uh, Ludo. Ludo. I love him. Ludo would be a really good dog name. I was thinking about that. Mm-hmm. I definitely added Ludo and Ambrosius mm-hmm. to my pet names oh, list. I love it. 
Yeah. So um, Ludo is loyal and kind, and he's a really good friend. A strong, silent type, I would argue. I would agree. Similar to Groot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ludo. I am Groot. <laughs> so? <laughs> I feel like this is... It's the same characters recycled over and over and over again. But, I mean, that's all of what cinematic history is. It's... Yep. There are... I think I heard that there are only, like, 30 actual storylines in the world. Oh. And we're just retelling the same, like, 30 to 35 stories over and over. That's why Hallmark does so well. Yeah. It's Hallmark has really honed mm-hmm. in on their specific storyline. Mm-hmm. It's a small-town baker going to the big city. <laughs> or it's the or big, big town city guy going to, to the, the small town. Yeah. <laughs> it's one or the other. Do Girl not deviate. Misunderstood. Somebody's parents have just died. Yep. Mm -hmm. This movie, however, takes at least five different storylines, combines them together, throws in Bowie and some really amazing musical Mm -hmm. numbers, Mm -hmm. and calls it a day. Yeah. Like, whether or not it flows does not matter. You be the judge. (laughs) Are you confused? This is a choose-your-own-adventure. Probably. But what all of these characters basically mean to me is that you need people to help you be brave. Hmm. Like, I'm looking for meaning in this. Yeah. I think you and I had a conversation recently, uh, because you're the only person I talk to, um, (laughs) about, like, were, did poets actually mean to say the things that they said, or are we assigning meaning to it? Oh, yeah. Um, And I feel like this is certainly one of those cases where there may have been some underlying themes, Mm -hmm. but I'm definitely just assigning meaning to this where Jim Hansen may not have meant for meaning to be. Well, back to the cult thing, you just kind of read into it. A lot of times information that you're digesting Mm -hmm. plays a role in what you need in that moment. Yeah, that's absolutely true. An excellent intersection there. (laughs) So proud of you. I'm searching for it constantly now. I know, me too, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Also, I like in preparing for this and thinking about cults, I was like, Jareth is totally a cult leader. He has a much bigger cult following than just the goblins at this point. Like, we are all his little goblins who are big fans. Big fans. Fortunately, he's never asked me for money or blackmail. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But Labyrinth had a really mixed response when it came out. A lot of people called it cinematically ugly and awful Mm. and stated that it never really came alive. Are you um, fucking kidding me? There's puppets. How could it be? <laughs> of course it's alive. Well, I mean, as much as puppets are alive. Well, I, I think it's very dimensional. Did it come alive in your heart? It yes. came alive in my heart. Other people thought it had excitement and thrills and something for all people. Rotten Tomatoes gave it, I think, a 76%. Uh, okay, seen worse. It did not do well in the box office. It did not even gross um, half of what they spent on it. Oh, shit. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. It actually did really, really poorly for, like, the first few years. Until fact, Hot it, Topic came about. Right. And it made and all now its money back. everyone wants to watch Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. In fact, it did so poorly that Jim Henson never directed another feature film again. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, he considered it to be his biggest failure. Yeah. So, but the set, the Goblin Muppets, everything was actually really incredible for the time. Mm-hmm. So, none of it was um, green screened. There was no, what do they call it, CGI? Mm-hmm. It was all animatronics. It was it all was, set. It was yeah, all, yeah. Like, it was real. The When she's falling down the tunnel, the hands are actual people's hands. I love that. Which is just phenomenal. It's, um, I love, like, knowing how much detail and, like, that that was somebody's vision. And, like, I think it's fabulous. I, I think love so, it. too. Set design, for me, is phenomenal. 
which I think just goes back to why I gave it a 10 out of 10. I'm mm-hmm. interested to hear your rating at the end. It didn't develop a, into a cult classic right away, but Henson died in 1990. And by the time he died, it had been, I think, four years since the movie came out. And at that point, people had already started the, the cult following mm-hmm. for this film. Mm-hmm. So he was able to see his greatest failure really become uh, a cult success. Well, a cult classic, nice. Which is very cool. So... My question for you is, this is now a participatory podcast. If you had to choose, so at the end of the movie, Sarah is given the option to become the queen of the goblins Mm -hmm. because Bowie is in love with her. Um, Oh, so now you have met it. (laughs) Theoretically. So if you had the option to choose, like a lifetime of fantasy and adventure or go back home to your responsibilities, what would you pick? Like, would you stay and be a goblin queen or would you go home to babysit your brother every weekend again? I think I would go home. Okay. Because I think being married to to DB would be fun. Mm -hmm. Seeing David's Bowie, probably (laughs) also fun. However, I am such a homebody. And even though we all have struggles with our personal lives and everything, I would be back here with my cats uh, and my fiance in a heartbeat. Yeah, I understand that. And like, I wouldn't want to be separated from my family for all eternity. <laughs> but if I, like, if we were talking about the Wizard of Oz and I had the option to stay in Oz, mm-hmm. oh, I absolutely would have. Mm-hmm. Like, the Emerald City is my jam. Mm-hmm. The Goblin Kingdom, less so, but I think I still would have been very tempted. And it's not for the sake of, like, not wanting to go back to responsibilities as much as it is. I really love having adventures. And, like, I understand the appeal of Wonderland. Like, I get all of that. Believe me, I do too. Yeah. So, that's kind of what, at the very end, I was like, hmm, I don't, I mean, David Bowie does nothing for me other than he's Bowie. But I think I'd be curious. I'd be more curious. Yeah, I'm, curiosity would definitely get me. But the, I've never really done well with films that are so like you have to start back at the beginning like that shit gives me anxiety i think this movie does enough to move the storyline along right or i'm not frustrated by the you know lack of progress yeah yeah yeah. but um for i would not want to do that for eternity also yeah i mean i wouldn't want to live in the labyrinth for eternity but mm-hmm. the Goblin Kingdom, some of those guys were kind of cute. <laughs> they were Snuggle buddies. Like adorable. So in conclusion, mm. mm-hmm. I love the darkness of this film. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm a Pollyanna type, and I loved Anne of Green Gables. However, the full scope of childhood and life in general, I think, was better examined in this film. Mm-hmm. The dark themes in this movie, the validation that transition into adulthood is terrifying and really unknown. It felt good and comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Nice and comfy. Yep. Nice and comfy. One quote from the article by The Atlantic says, Childhood has been this way forever, wonderful and hard and full of horror. Labyrinth just helps us remember what deep down in the dark we've always known. Oh. And actually, I read that quote and then wrote the rest of my notes. So I think that that's really what it boils down for to me is that this was just a really amazing commentary on what that experience is like. And I think we can all agree that middle school was the worst time of our lives. I would much rather have gone through the labyrinth 15 times than had to go through middle school and figure it out by myself. Kids are so mean. I mean, I I think too, it's, it's just like, like my family says, scooting through sawdust on a hardwood memory. (laughs) (laughs) 
you're just kind of going. I was not prepared for that. <laughs> Run that past me one more time. Scoot, scooting through sawdust on a hardwood memory. We're going to have to write that like one down. like a friend of a friend of a friend wrote a book, and that's what she called it. Nice. But, but yeah, I mean, you're, we're just trying to figure out exactly what we want and how to get there. And yeah, there's always something we don't want to do. It's true. always the lesser of two evils, though. Yep. Great job. Good job to you, too. Cult episode two, my dear. Um, I really enjoy our cult episodes. Me, too. It's a nice um, it's a nice change of pace. Yeah. They're a little shorter. Yeah. Quick in and out. <laughs> David's belly. going to have some sexual <laughs> innuendos. Yeah. Um, so we'll see you next month for cult episode three. Stay tuned. Thanks. We might, should we drop hints throughout the month of what our next cult episode will be? Maybe. Our movie? Maybe we've, that way people can watch it. decide more than a week before. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Never mind. We take it back. <laughs> Stay tuned. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to our cult adjacent episode. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcasts Without an Audience. Find us on social media at pod without an odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook or find us on the web at podcast without an audience.com. Shoot us an email at pod without an odd at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening. Keep listening.